Hello and welcome. This is Growth RX. I'm Jade Scott, and today we are joined all the way from New South Wales, Australia, with Dean Lawler. How are you, Dean? Very well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Now you are, you've got a, a pretty lengthy CV, 25 years experience. You're a physiotherapist, EP. You were a, a business owner of multiple allied health, multidisciplinary, multi-award winning clinics um, that you've now uh, sold and moved away from and changed your trajectory. And you've kind of moved across now. And we're going to hear more about what you're doing with your spare time, but that's made up of writing books, being mm -hmm. and helping out and supporting entrepreneurs. Um, where, I guess, what, what have I missed? Is there anything else you can fill us in on about why you are talking to us today? We are talking about the struggles, concerns, and issues that many of us face, whether we're business owners or practitioners in allied health um, and with your experience i'm thrilled that you're joining us thank you very much i guess um i guess the main point of today what i want to really get across is that uh, we don't often talk about in allied health or the health health practitioners is burnout burnout is actually real um i'll put my hand up i was burnt out i was burnt out to a crisp um which is one of the reasons why i decided to walk away from practice now, I want to basically help other practitioners recognise the signs and symptoms of burnout and also teach them that there, there are other ways to deal with, uh, with, with uh, health issues and burnout. And uh, it's, it's, it's something that's not spoken about and it's, I'm really passionate about. Yeah. And it's one of the things that we're going to look into. It's, it's multi-level. It's very complex and it's very Absolutely. simple. So we're going to look at, and we're going to try and break it down as best we can in full transparency. You and I have both been practitioners. We've both worked for other people and we have both owned and run our own businesses. So we come with a couple of perspectives, but obviously where we sit is very unique in our own experiences and our own judgment and bias and where we position ourselves. Okay. So we want to keep the discussion open, but obviously I would like to talk to you because you've been very honest of late with your raw communication with the allied health profession about what you went through. And I, I'm privileged to be able to share this platform with you and, and be able to give you the opportunity to talk more in the hope that exactly, as you said, it might help other people. Absolutely. If I can help one, I'd be happy. So a little bit more, let's kind of lighten it up for a minute. I want to know more about you. And where is your favourite holiday destination? Oh, um, it's pretty easy. You can probably tell by the background. It's probably Yankee Stadium. Okay. So obviously a lover of baseball. Oh, I love baseball, yes. And, and still now, obviously, we're not in America. How did you... Yeah. What uh, trip did you love? The internet, yeah, fortunate enough in the internet, I still get to catch up, catch up, catch up on the game. So, um, yeah, I'm not missing it. So. Yep. Amazing. And what do you, obviously you're not running a business anymore. What do you spend most of your time doing now? So I'm actually writing a couple of books, a couple of books for new grads. Uh, basically, uh, one of them is called The Art of uh, Treatment and Management of Lumps Spine. So I've always found that new grads always come out with um, a lot of knowledge, but a lot of knowledge that actually isn't very useful. Um, so I'm actually writing a couple of books. Um, I've also established uh, Clinic Boss, which is basically a, a help them promote business to help um, uh, people grow their business and also all those um, new clinics I want to start up um, and grow a clinic as well. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And in true Growth RX style, we like to champion those contributing to leadership in allied yeah. health. I would love to know what leadership means to you. Oh, um, honesty, 
um, openness, um, being flexible, um, and being consistent. Yeah, amazing. It's great. So we at at Growth RX lately we've launched a, a new program called Leadership RX. And the first program part of that is based upon Emerge. And in an effort to deep dive into that, I wanted to be in touch a little bit more with the members. And so I ran a survey last week and it was only launch. It was last minute. It was two days. And I asked one simple question because I wanted to get a greater understanding and appreciation of what practitioners across all industries in allied health were struggling with. And that was the question what are you struggling with? And I was really, really surprised within 24 hours, I think we had about 70 responses and it was capped out over three days with an uptake of almost 250 responses. It wasn't a qualitative driven, evidence-based, research-based, but it was just listening to the people and people were very, and I found are very happy to extend on things that they're failing at struggling with issues oh. concerns and stresses you ask people what they're good at and people kind of shut down yep. but when we ask about our trials and tribulations and our shortcomings people are very um i guess very ready to put their hand up and talk about it and i think that as you said earlier we don't talk about this stuff enough so what i would love to do with you and what we chatted about offline and the reason why i brought you into this conversation is firstly i don't like talking to a screen on my own <laughs> And secondly, I think you've got a wealth of knowledge that you would be able to share. So I'm going to share my screen for a minute. And we're going to have a chat about, I guess, these slides. So the number one theme that came up in this interview and through the, the short answer responses was staff shortages and recruitment. This was a monumental theme right now. Why, in your experience, do you think this is the case? And this is not just physio. This is across all multidisciplinary clinics. Why are we seeing this? Uh, that's a really good, good, really good question. I'm really not 100% sure as to why we're seeing lots of the shortages because in our area in, on the Mid-North Coast, we have a university that's just, uh, it's their first year, it's their first year of their uh, final year grad. So, but I know that there's, yeah, they, there's, there's practices out here in my local area that are struggling to, to fill roles, um, even though the universities are pumping out more graduates. Yeah, and I think that's the case, obviously in, in Victoria, and I can speak from Victoria because that's where I am, you know, there's there's hugely saturated areas when it comes to clinics and pockets. And I think the, these struggles from the business owners I've spoken to, whether it be physio or osteo or even podiatry, EP, we're struggling with at the moment. Is it that we're getting a saturation in areas where these university courses are, you know, these students come out, they've created a life for themselves, they've got relationships, they've got family, and there's some amazing jobs. I mean, you're on the North, you're on the North Shores up there. And I think we're finding even Adelaide, Adelaide are struggling over in Western Australia, even up in Queensland, we're finding shortages. And yet we're oversaturated in some areas. You know, what would you say to those business owners? What do we need to do? Is this a, at a level, at a, at a university level we need to be talking to? Is I this an association is. issue? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it is. I also do think, unfortunately, the uni, university started to become a bit, a bit more of a business where that, you know, anyone can actually do a degree these days, in my opinion, if you've got enough money to pay for a degree. Um, whether the quality of the new grads coming out is not of the standard that... Um, 
we come to expect as business owners and maybe that's the reason why we're, we're, we're struggling to find staff. Yeah. And so with your experience, obviously you had multiple businesses that were, that were, you know, grew quite rapidly and were staffed quite well. What was your turnover like and why were the reasons people were leaving and why they were moving on or why they were coming to join you? Uh, we didn't actually have a great deal of turnover. Um, in, in, in fact, we had a lot of people wanting to come and work for us. So, um, I think part of that was the fact that we had a really good culture where we worked. Um, we won several business awards. We were fairly active in um, recruiting new graduates and doing some new graduate training. Um, I think that was the, the catalyst that um, was sort of drew, drew new graduates to us. And I mean, obviously I'm incredibly biased when it comes to leadership and I'd yeah. love every single person listening to come along and do the course, but I'd love to know from you, what role did leadership play in being a preferred employer and that culture organization shift? And did you invest in that as, as a business? Yeah, look, I, I've, like, like I've probably a lot of a lot of business owners, I've read a lot of books on leadership and um, business development and you know, listened to a lot of people and, and uh, listened to a lot of mentors as well. I've got my own mentors. So, um, you yeah, just following their lead, following their advice, following their education. Um, it's, you know, recreate the world if they don't need to. Yeah, exactly that. So, stepping across, I'm just going to head back to sharing my screen. This was the standout theme and there was a, a, a lot of words that kept recurring. Many of the struggles were filling positions, especially in those not in major cities. So getting to country, rural areas, rural outreach programs, we're really struggling with. I definitely empathise with practitioners out there because I know they are screaming out for these employees, contractors, whatever model you run, they just want somebody who's willing to service, help and support their patients, but they can't get it. So certainly, I guess, stepping up and making yourself noticed and, and what you do offer and what you can deliver to the industry is a great place to start. And then the second one was the competition. So even if you are in a saturated area in Melbourne, how do you stand out as a business amongst another clinic around the corner who's potentially vying for the same applicant yeah that's that's really that's really it's really hard yeah it's very competitive um environment um even in uh the local area here with the as i said with the new grads um this year um there's another three or four clinics that have just popped up popped open uh, this year um you know again that that becomes a strain for the other clinics that, uh, that, that are already existing um and uh you know for for a new business starting out that's uh it's a lot of pressure to put yourself under pretty quickly. Yeah. And so what, what was your, some of your offerings that, I mean, you didn't have a very high turnover and you mentioned culture, but you, you mentioned you had people wanting to come and work for you. How were you projecting that? We gave a lot of back to the community. And I think that was, uh, you can find people who are community minded, community based. Um, we did a lot of community work and I think that attracted a lot of new grads who it wasn't just about you know, treating patients and getting notes done, but we loved to give back to the community. And I think that attracted a lot of new grads to, to our area. Um, you know, we're fortunate as well. We're in Port Macquarie. It's, um, it's God's country here. Um, you know, we've got beaches, we've got sun, although we've had floods here for the last two weeks, which has been crazy. But um, I think that the fact that we uh, gave back to the community, but also we had a, a fairly well-structured uh, new grad program. And I think that's really important. So it gave the new grads that we had on board uh, basically a, a leg up um, straight away. 
And I think, yeah, you you we're noticing that with with some of the others, which is a great segue, I guess, into the one of the second struggles that we're finding. Yep. If I can get my screen to click across to that. As a business owner, business growth and time pressure. Now, I know that you did openly talk about your burnout, but burnout is is very much multifaceted. Oh, yes. I think you were not only both a business owner, but you were a practitioner. And these days, more and more, we're not seeing burnout as labor intensive, you know, smashing out 60, 80, 100 patients a week, whatever it comes down to in a, in a physical sense. Was your, and, and if you don't mind extending, because I, I mean, I've had the privilege of hearing your story offline a little bit. Where did your burnout come from? Was it because you had the responsibility fatigue of being a business owner as well? Or do you feel like it was just that professional setting and dealing with patients? I think it was, I think I, I think it was both, um, to be honest. I think the biggest problem I had is that uh, I was always on. So as a business owner, you're, I always felt like I was always on no matter where I was. Um, whether I was at home, doing social media, doing marketing, doing planning for staff. Um, I think the fact that being always on um, was a definite contributing factor. And I really was a person who didn't have any boundaries. That was my biggest problem. I had no boundaries. So patients would ring me up on the weekend say, Dean, I've done this. Can you get me in? Sure, no problem. I've done this. Can you put a pass on? Yeah, no problem. I've missed, you know, I've missed uh, family events. I've missed uh, my son's sporting events. Um, you know, and it... And it it creates a toll, it does. So you've got to set boundaries. Got to set boundaries, number one rule. It's okay to say no. Yeah. And so moving, I guess, from that is the signs. Now, yeah. obviously, you're telling your story now, but yeah. I can't imagine that this is something that presented to you and that you woke <laughs> up one morning and went, I'm burnt out. Yeah. If we are talking about this, I'd love, you know, if you're willing to share the sure. lead up and how you got to that point I, and also what sure. you did after. I literally woke up one morning and got out of bed and went, I did not want to go to work. I've never done that in 25 years of being a physio. I literally got up and went, I just did not want to go to work. And thinking about going to work, I actually felt sick. I actually felt sick. So this happened for um, probably two or three months, uh, off and on. Um, I would say to my wife, oh, I think I've done. And she goes, no, no, you just need a holiday. So it would take a bit of a break. Then I got to the point um, where, and this is probably going to sound a little bit um, confronting to some. I got to the point where while I was um, consultating with uh, patients, um, a patient would tell me something that was wrong with them. And all I was thinking in my head was shut the F up. So I'd lost all my compassion, empathy, out the door. And I knew from that point, I was even telling myself at that point, you are done. You are done. Yeah. I think, and from that, I'm hearing that we talk so often about compassion fatigue. Yeah. But then part of burnout is when you switch that, you get to a point where you've got nothing left to give, like your bucket overflowed. I Absolutely. I, was just, I wasn't just physically burnt out. I was mentally and emotionally burnt out as well. I really was. I was, I, I couldn't give, I felt like I just could not give anymore. I'd done, I've done 25 years of giving and I gave all I could. And I just got to the point where 
I can't do this anymore. I just cannot do this anymore. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's a whole new different mindset. You know, that becomes a whole different um, identity crisis of you know, who you are. I get that. Mm. That's a struggle. And there's a lot of business owners and practitioners, regardless of where you sit in your level of experience or time in the industry that are resonating with you right now. And then we had COVID thrown in the middle. Oh, yes, that was me, yeah. And, you know, I, I was during that whole time, I was, it, was, it was a very stressful moment for everyone, but you start to think about, you know, you don't want to be that, cl- that clinician or that practice that brings COVID to your clinic or takes COVID to an aged care clinic and the clinic gets infected. So, you know, or you don't want to come home <laughs> and give that to your family when you perhaps shouldn't be working. So, yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on which um, all presented itself one day and pretty much, yeah, I had it. I was done. I was toast. Yeah. And we do, we do struggle with that dissonance. You know, do we stay open? Do we close? Absolutely. Should I be looking after my patients or my family? Yeah. It was a pretty heavy burden. And somebody asked me the other day, you know, how are you feeling? I literally feel like I have a backpack on and people keep putting bricks in it. Yep, yep. I get that. Yep, I understand exactly where you're coming from. Um, you know, one of the personality traits of, of those who, who um, you know, tend to suffer from burnout is the type A personalities. Yeah. And there are, obviously, there's the suggestion, the notion that we take a break. I desperately need a break myself. I'm very honest and transparent about that with my team. I am, it, it is that, that responsibility fatigue and the decision fatigue. The yeah. fact that decisions fall back on you all the time. Where do you get the new mask? Where do you put the order? You, you, can, have, you can have team and a wonderful team around you of support and yet still feel lonely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, 100% agree. So how do we know then whether we just need a break or whether we're burnt out? Are there specific signs, I guess, from a psychological perspective, things that they look for in a survey? There's tick boxes, there's questionnaires. What are the key things that we're looking for that are the warning signs that we could be seeing in each other as peers in an effort to help each other? One of them is you, you just you just exhausted and tired all the time, even after your rest after a holiday. And that's what I found with my last holiday. I had two weeks off. I still found myself being totally exhausted. Felt like I never had a holiday. So that's definitely one sign. The other one is you basically become depersonalised. Everything you just everything becomes too hard. Uh, you start backing away from everything else. Things that you used to enjoy, hobbies, leisure, whatever it might be, you start backing away. Um, and you start to shut down um, communication-wise. You just, I got to the point where I just, I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't want to come home and talk to people. I didn't want to talk to my family. I just come home and just sit in the corner and let me alone. But yeah, that's that's the telltale signs. And you, it's, one of them was the biggest sign because you start losing sleep. So I've always been a great sleeper. Always loved my sleep. But I, even I was starting to lose sleep, I'd start to wake up at two o'clock in the morning like I was ready to go. And I'd go, why am I awake at two o'clock in the morning? And that went on for a good 12 months. Yeah. Thank you for sharing because I know it, it is hard. It's one of, I know I, I think I just, for those watching at home and for myself, I'd just love to know how you're going now. I'm good, actually. I'm actually, um, I'm actually getting professional help, so that's awesome. Um, I was lucky I sort of got to the point where the line was drawn in the sand for me and I had to do something, otherwise I was going to do something silly. So um, I'm not afraid to say that. 
um, but um, I'm here now. So uh, I just really want to help um, either new grads don't go down my path or help those more experienced practitioners realise that, uh, for them to realise the signs and symptoms. But at the moment, I'm, I'm doing really well. I am doing really well. Getting help, so I'm, I'm uh, in a much better place than I was, uh, say, six months ago. Yeah. That's great. And, and it's good to hear. And it's nice that you are coming out the other side and you can Absolutely. talk about it and, and hopefully communicate with and help and, you know, other practitioners. I know, I know that I reached out to you the other day, which is why you're on this call here. There are a lot of people who are willing to not make people feel alone and to have these conversations. This is why I wanted to talk about these survey results because so many people jumped in and so many people asked. And so I guess going back to the slides that I kind of put together, you know, some of the things that were recurring, this isn't just a quote from one, you know, too much demand, not enough staff around, you know, that ties back to the shortages that some are feeling in rural areas and interstate outside of those major cities, too challenging to get patients to shift across to their staff and team members. So, this is a big one that I wanted to chat to you about, I guess, in the lead up to burnout. Even those business owners that have very successful businesses and teams that are very supportive and very willing to jump in and help, after 10, 20 years in practice, you've got a caseload of people that are dependent on you and want your care. So even when you want to offload is the wrong word but it kind of gets to that point where you want to be able to share their care and potentially co-treat with somebody else trust is a very very difficult thing to build and it and it sometimes doesn't happen overnight how do we and i, I mean i can talk and i this is what i talk about in, in the leadership course is trying to navigate trust yeah. in your team in your staff and in your patients and making people feel safe and secure and there's certain strategies and, and skills that we can actually do to build on that. But how did you find that with your patients? Did you have patients that were just dependent on you and not because of your press for them to do so, but they just trusted you and it's that simple and they didn't want to see anyone else? Yes, for me, that, that's what it was. And I think that was probably one of the, one of the catalysts, I guess, uh, towards the end of uh, before I you know, finished up treating patients was that I had clients who would confess to me issues that they had that were beyond a musculoskeletal problem. Um, so they were trusting me that much that they were telling me the whole life story or telling me that they were suicidal. Um, and yeah, that, that got a little bit raw to me. Um, that happened probably the last six months, maybe three or four different, different clients. And that was really confronting and I didn't handle that very well. Um, Cause here I was thinking, why are you burdening me with, with this? I'm, I'm a physio, I'm just, you know, but I think you build up so much trust with clients and patients over time, that they will trust you with any, anything. So these two, two people were, were reaching out and reached out um, quite, quite, quite largely. Um, and I think that is, once you get to a certain point um, with trust, how do you offload that to another practitioner? I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure that that. Yeah. It's a hard one. Um, it, it's 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 very difficult when you've got patients who just go, no, I only see Dean or I only see Kate or I only see Mark. Yeah. And do you think? I guess it, to extend on that, from my experience, 
there's two ways that I offloaded my patients. And I'd love to say that I had this fancy strategy for yeah. it. One of them was having a baby. Yeah. People, patients excuse maternity leave. Yeah. There's a lot of men that don't have that excuse unless they're going on paternity yeah. leave, which is great. Yeah. Seeing more of that happening now. But we as females get to be pregnant for nine months. It's a nine month warning that mm -hmm. you're not going to be around. Yeah. And I know this sounds horrible, but I was, you know, I guess consulting and supporting a male business owner a couple of years ago. And my response to him rightly or wrongly or unethically was you need an injury. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. You need an injury yeah. to back yeah. off because your patients will excuse that. Now that shouldn't be the case and it shouldn't no. be the reason, but it mentally, the dissonance we feel from abandoning our patients is very real. Absolutely. This is something that we need more training in because mm -hmm. I know that I didn't come out equipped and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an empath. I'm a very empathetic person. It's not my strength, it's my weakness. Yeah. Yeah. And we have the helpers high and then we have the givers low. Yeah. You know, is this something that we need at a university level? Or Absolutely. As I, I know as a, as, a, as a boss and as a leader, I try and do this with our team, but we need, we need more, the ability to teach people to let go. How... Do you think that would have helped you from as a... Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's something that should be taught at university level. Most definitely. And is it, more studying, living, sorry, yeah. is it more studying... Sorry, is it more studying psychology as such or just talking about it more? Yeah. I think there's probably needs to be an element of both, to be honest. Yeah. Mm. And so what ways, I guess, as industry leaders and practitioners can we support newer graduates in this space is it having conversations like this is yeah, it I, yeah i think it's about making them practice a little bit of self-awareness as well when and to get them to start recognizing signs of symptoms if they're starting to feel you know a little bit burnt out so to speak and not just stress not just to being in a stressful situation or having a stressful patient but being aware being self-aware of those signs and symptoms that um, can lead to burnout but also I think we need to teach them how to set some healthy boundaries as well. Um, teaching them this is, this is actually okay to say no to a patient. Um, it is actually okay to say no to an employer, employer rather, um, just to squeeze in that extra patient. I, you know, I know I did that for years, but as a business owner, that's what I did. You know, I quite often would uh, start at work at seven o'clock in the morning, um, have lunch maybe at four o'clock uh, if, 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 if lucky, and then continue till six. So I did that for years, but that was me. That was just you know, I don't want to see other practitioners going down that same path because it, it's a path of disaster, let me tell you. Yeah. And it, it is true. As as a graduate, sometimes you, I, I did it all the time. You fit people at the end of your day. You fit people at lunchtime. Because when you've got somebody in pain and verbalising their desperation, yep. Yep. we do feel bad about Absolutely. saying no. Uh, yeah. And it's... It, for me, it's a, it's a two decade long battle, and I know you're even longer than that, and yeah. it's still there. It's not going away. Because we, we all got into this into a profession because we wanted to help people, and if we can help as many people as we can, well, then for me, that ticks so many boxes. So, and if, you know, if I could help as many people as I could, then I would do I would do what I could. Yeah. So it's not necessarily the. It's got nothing to do with the number of patients you see. No. Is how much you're giving in the time that you are. Absolutely, and honestly, it became when you when you start to 
start to treat you and you fix someone. Honestly, it's it's almost like a drug. <laughs> it's it's your fix. It's it feels great to be able to do that. So you know, and that's probably again what I was um what I was always looking for, and that gave me joy. Um, so if I could get more joy by seeing other more people, so yeah, I would do it. And but again, you know, that became a recipe for disaster. And it really is that that helper's high. It's adrenaline. You run off adrenaline. You know, one of the greatest gifts that we can give is the ability to serve somebody else and be remembered for changing somebody's life. It's so empowering, but it's dangerous in the wrong hands. Even now I'll walk down the street uh, and old patients will come up to me and say, oh, Dean, thank you so much. You remember me treating my, you know, you helped me with my back. I have no idea who they are, but they remember me. So that's, uh, that's quite nice. So. Yeah. But it is, it is a dangerous spiral to go to, to keep saying yes and not having uh, not having boundaries. It really is. And it is hard, you know, you hear conversations with new graduates coming out who are very new and once upon a time there was a contractor model, for example, even in osteopathy where as a new graduate you could pick and choose and I want Saturday off and I'm going to work these hours and you were kind of a sole trader running your own business under the umbrella of somebody else's clinic name. Now with more employment positions coming up, there is a little bit more control from a business owner's perspective and, and rightly so, they've got a right to make decisions of their business and take control of their business. But it is, it is a really hard struggle when you come straight out of uni and there's so many models where new graduates could be going into state or smashing out lots of patients and earning a lot of money. And then you've got others who come out and base themselves on the Allied Health Professionals Award, which is set by Fair Work. There's so many discrepancies that create so much conflict that we probably need more education in that as well at that ground level because, you know, even though we've got an award, the remuneration, which I'm kind of jumping the gun now, so let me kind of share my screen to go to, to the next one. Um, when it comes to, uh, I'm going to jump forward because I just started talking about it. I um, know oh we'll stay there. Sorry, everyone playing at home. Um, so the third one is managing and trusting your team. So this was from a couple of different perspectives, the management, yes, from a business owner's perspective, but the trust component came from practitioners in also having that mutual trust back with their business owners. And that comes from building a great culture that you talked about. What were some of the things that you guys did that helped contribute to that culture? Look, we did a lot of, um, you know, like probably a lot of clinics do, we did, we did the, we're doing the three minute huddles, um, we did a lot of social events after, um, uh, after work, we did some planning days for work, um, which we always did at the start of the year as to what we wanted to achieve um, for the year, both professionally and, and um, personally. Um, and I think it's, it's all about building relationships, relationships with your, with your staff, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not just, and it's not just, it's, it, everything can't be just about work. You have to tap into them somehow at, at a personal level. Yeah. If you can't do that, then you, your business will struggle and they'll go elsewhere. We do spend 33% of our waking life at work. Absolutely. That's scary, isn't it? And so you need to love the people that you work with. And we spend a lot of time building those relationships. If you've got Harvard Business Review suggests that one of the top three reasons why people stay in a workplace is because of a work bestie. So 
as a smart business owner, why wouldn't you try and create more best friends and those relationships Absolutely. outside of work? So you did social functions and yeah. social events. We did, uh, obviously, one of our biggest, probably biggest uh, event that we held that was quite, um, what was the word, what's the word? It just really grew, grew the practice and really grew the, the, the culture within the practice. We actually did an amazing race day, um, which is one of our, which is our Christmas holiday um, um, holiday um, event, and uh, that went gangbusters, and that went for the, over the whole day. So, uh, if anyone wants the information on how to run a, an amazing race, you know, <laughs> let me know. I've got all the information for you. That's all of it. That was great fun. We I still talk about it today. Yeah, and and it is. It's nice to see people in a social setting outside the confines of work. Some of them are hilarious when you get a couple of drinks in them. Yeah, you know, a six pack of confidence helps everybody. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's you know one of the things with our experience in in and my experience being a disc profile facilitator yeah. is that it is documented and known that the way people are outside of work. They actually have a personality and behavioural adaptation in work. Mm-hmm. So often without these social events and without these social functions, we actually don't see somebody's natural behavioural style, Correct. which is yeah. fascinating. You can know somebody for and be working alongside somebody for five or six years and not see them in their natural mm-hmm. comfort zone. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm totally in agreement with you here. And yes, I would love some details on the amazing race because we've done everything. We've done scavenger hunts. We've got okay. weekends away. We've had a pirate theme, which I'm bringing up next week. But nice. if you, if I'm not going to reinvent the wheel, as you say, if you've got yeah. an amazing race for me, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll follow your skeleton. So heading back here again as well, the trust and the fear kept coming up. So this, this balance between I want to trust my team, but I'm afraid of, and I guess this is where this vulnerability comes in. As a business owner, you're meant to be seen as a leader, but I, I certainly think that vulnerability humanises credibility and sometimes to appear like a boss and soften and show your true colours in the workplace. And gosh, I think I've cried in front of my team three times, you know, yeah. COVID. I'm a, and, but not everybody is willing to show emotions. Emotional intelligence needs to be learned. It's a skill that we can develop all the time. Uh, you know, those business owners that potentially, they're, they're running on empty anyway. Yes. And then they've got to come to work and they've got to invest into their patients. And also the same goes for practitioners. You know, I've got some employees that are a bit reluctant to be friends with me on Facebook because they're like, ooh, maybe I don't want to show what I'm doing, is creating that space. How did you build on relationships sometimes with employees that were 20 years younger than you? Yeah, look, that was really, I actually didn't find that um, too, too hard. Um, I actually found that a bit of a, bit of a challenge, but um, in terms of trying to break that boundaries in, um, I've, I've never acted my age, never will. So um, I'm a young kid at heart. So um, yeah, look, I think it's just, if you can, um, it's all about developing relationships. It's not developing relationships. If you can develop a relationship and grow that relationship on, on, on any facet that may be, um, and trust, learn to trust them, um, give them um, some, some space as well, um, give them some autonomy, that's always helpful. I think you can actually uh, get to the point where yeah, so we yeah we'll we'll join you on Facebook as friends, and I've still got some some uh, 
I've got a new year, new year grad who still hits me up every week and asks me how I am. So, and that's, you know, it's, it, they are now five, oh, they were new grads, they're now five years out, so, which is great. Yeah, it's really nice. And I think, you know, there's business owners that should be spending more time with their teams, but equally Absolutely. some teams that are reluctant to go to social events because their yeah. time outside of work is precious. And they already spent yeah. enough time at work with those people. Why do I need to spend even more sure. time? I get that, yep. What, what do you say to those practitioners? Look, I think you're just going to, as you said, you spend a lot of time at work and you'll spend a lot of time with those, with those people. You, you, you'll have a much more enjoyable work experience if you make an effort to become a little bit more personal with the rest of the team. You really will. It'll, it'll just open up more doors for you as well. Uh, I think uh, that if you put yourself out there, others will put themselves out there as well. Yeah, definitely. And the last one, and I've just closed all my slides down, so I can't grab them back again. So I won't jump back to a screen share. But number four was this notion between competition and remuneration models. You don't see it as much in physio, but we've got a real battle of education, conflict, priorities going on when it comes to the employee versus contractor model. And speaking in regards to just some statistics that we see at the moment in osteopathy, because that's all I can comment on, you know, back in 2017, when we last did our census, there was only about 22% of the osteopathic profession that were employing. That has certainly grown over the last three years. And we're probably sitting now more than ever at a 50-50 split where graduates are kind of coming out and they have no idea whether to choose a contractor model or an employment model and there's certainly good and bad in everything no matter what you're doing you're always going to find somebody abusing the system on both sides but if you want the reality is that not everyone's incentivized by money but many Absolutely. people are mm -hmm. so what are some of the things outside of pay and remuneration i guess that you could be offering staff to engage them if you want somebody to move into a rural practice and move to the country yep. what if you were one of those advising one of those business owners what would you be encouraging them to do look you know, there's other ways to incentivize people whether it might be you know give them a, uh, have, a, have a, uh, an RDO or a day off work or an evening off work start later you know start start at work early or finish uh, finish later um, one of the other things that uh, we would just bring about bringing in when I um, sold the clinics was that we were having a volunteer day. So um, where each employee was encouraged to um, undertake a volunteer activity for the day and we would pay them to we'd still recover their wage, of course, uh, as long as they gave back to the community somehow. Yeah, that's so I know we, that, was, um, that was looking really, really promising. I hope the guys carried through with that because uh, it was looked really, really promising. And I know the, the rest of the staff were really excited. They come to me and said, oh, thank you so much. I'm, I really want to do this. I really want to do this. Yeah. So that's great. And look, I know that there's, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. There's a lot of business owners sitting there going, well, that's great that you can do that, yeah. but I don't have the patient numbers yeah. to be able to pay somebody, let alone pay somebody to go and do some voluntary work. Correct. So where you know i guess outside of that we need these business owners obviously a lot of them have a lot of the demand and do it's where you place your value on money and your time as well and i know when i finally came to that realization that i needed to get off my hands and have some more time for me money wasn't my driving force i just needed help yeah 
And so potentially taking on one of these roles without having to always worry about what you're going to profit for somebody, maybe make sure that you're obviously covering your expenses, but short term pain for a long term gain, potentially. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. And in the, I mean, in the beginning, you didn't start with multi business. No. Did you start on your own and build it up from scratch? Yeah, I did. Started in uh, a little practice um, down south of Port Macquarie um, with one practitioner. And so, what? How do you? Or what? What do you attest to your clinic growth? What do I attest? Whoa. Um, I think I just connected with patients. I really did. I was really, my, my passion was connecting with patients. And once you connect with a patient um, on a personal level um, or even a professional level, um, they'll tell you what is wrong with them. Um, and I just, I just made sure that I, I connected with, with, with patients and I, and I was consistent with what I was providing. Yeah. And yeah. I think your message all the way through is really clear one of the things that we also hear as practitioners is it's so contradictory is that we want to help and we want to connect and we do that all day long. Yeah. But we also, what I'm hearing from you is we need to create boundaries. Absolutely. And, that, and that's the one thing that I didn't have. And that's one thing I, that's probably the only thing I, I regret. I never had any boundaries. Um, and uh, so I, I encourage um, any practitioners out there, clinic owners and new grads, please set yourself some boundaries before um, it uh, becomes an issue. And so to extend on the boundaries rather than keep it broad, is there any like three actions that they can implement now to ensure that they do protect their boundaries? Yep, um, I said, as I said it's, it's actually okay to say no. Um, so squeezing in a patient or taking a, uh, taking a phone call um, during, you know, taking a phone call during your lunch break, um, you know, being self-aware as well of your your limitations and being aware of how your body is performing. Um, if it's not feeling feeling optimal, then um, it's time to maybe take a, a bit of bit of time out. Um, but boundaries are, are, are the biggest and the hugest um, area that people need to be mindful of. Yeah. So when I say boundaries, you know, get off social media um, when you when you when you're not when you're not on. Um, you know, turn off the TV, go outside. You know. Uh, read a book, do some meditation, whatever it might be. Do something, do something different that is not work-related, so you're not always on. That's that's the issue. Yeah, that ability. And as business owners, we always want to be on, but unfortunately, yet it comes at a price. And I think that's one of the hardest things is that burnout is very, very individual. But that carrying around that responsibility all the time, even when you do switch off. Correct. I always had the, responsibility. the responsibility or the, the, the feels of every, every time there was a bit of a downturn in the work, I was worried about, okay, so how are my staff going to pay their mortgage um, or how are they going to be pay their rent? So I always felt a little bit of uh, empathy that way in terms of you know, what is going to happen for them. So again, that's just because that's what I do. You, you know, we've got to do healthcare because we care. Yeah. So creating boundaries, saying no, Yes. Being self-aware. Being self-aware, most definitely. Getting some exercise. And actively making some time for yourself. Absolutely. It's okay. And it's okay to say no. And for the for those that are carrying that responsibility to try and share it as much as you can or Absolutely. even yeah. share it. Yeah. 
I think it's really important and valuable to actually share what you're feeling at the time. If you're feeling a little bit burnout. One of the things that I actually thought would be a great idea is we all, as, as physios, we have to have um, CPR, uh, first aid uh, registration or certificates. Um, one idea that I have had is if maybe practitioners should have a wellness check, a mental health wellness check once a year as well. Yeah. Um, just touch base with a psychologist or a, uh, or a mental health nurse or something like that, just to make sure that they're not on the road to burnout. Yeah. And there is a Love Me Love You who have an amazing charity who focus on depression and anxiety and making sure that nobody walks alone. They've got a wonderful course, micro course that they're offering as well to, I guess, help in this space, but also know that I guess when you do feel alone is probably the most important time to find somebody to talk to. I think also practitioners need to realize they're probably not the only one who is suffering from burnout. Yeah. Yeah. Probably just not talking about it. And also the role and effect of your family. I know when I get flat and when I carry this load, my husband certainly carries it too. And the role onto my children is heartbreaking because I'm just not present. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing. I definitely believe that, it is conversations that we need to be having more and, and being like yourself, who I certainly call courageous, but you was just like, you know what, it's, it's my story and I'm just here to help. I think often we get told, oh, you're so resilient, but often we don't want resilience. We want post-traumatic growth. We want to be able to come out better on the other side and sometimes sharing your story is therapy for that. And Absolutely. people can certainly find your story. They've, they've got a blog. How do we find you? And tell us a bit more about Clinic Boss. So yeah, Clinic Boss is just uh, a little uh, little help entrepreneurial business that I've started just to help basically new graduates and startup um, businesses want to um, grow and grow in the right 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 matter in terms of having that correct work-life balance. Um, look, you just hit me up on Facebook. I'm happy to answer any questions. Anyone who doesn't doesn't want to uh, uh, sorry, anyone that wants to ask any questions about burnout or clinic boss, just yeah, feel free to hit me up. I'm, I'll be open and honest and, and warts and all. So I'm not, I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. I just want that message to be to be out there for everyone else. Yeah. And I, I just know, speaking from example, hearing your story, and I, I sent a message and just said, hey, I'd love to chat. And Dean, you cancelled your afternoon for me so that you could talk yeah. to who you didn't know and from my perspective that means so much and I'm happy to um, pay that forward to anybody else who needs to chat and I just I'm so grateful that you're here joining me because it wasn't a conversation that I wanted to have alone I don't feel like it's my story to tell on behalf of everybody and also it's not our story between you and I everybody has their own journey and their own story and is feeling their own pain and stresses concerns and issues so whatever they may be we give credit to all of them. And I think everybody needs to have a voice and deserves that voice to be respected. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you everyone for listening. Well, welcome. Everybody watching afterwards at home, please talk about this stuff more and please reach out to people if you need to. This burnout crisis is real, it's a raw and it's not going anywhere. So we need to stick it through together. Thanks very much, everyone. Bye. Thank you.